Hi, my name is Brooke Archer, a qualified clinical nutritionist and naturopath who's passionate about showing people how they can live their happiest and healthiest lives. Through my business Evolve Nutrition and Naturopathy, I've helped hundreds of women, men and children listen to their bodies and elevate their health. Join me and my expert guests as we share all there is to know to evolve your health and live your best life. So get comfortable and get ready to learn. This is the Evolved Health Podcast. Today, I'm extremely excited to welcome my next guest to the Evolved Health Podcast to talk about a topic that is so important, I believe, to all facets of our health. Luann is a qualified clinical nutritionist and coach situated in Victoria who specialises in helping people with histamine intolerances, among some other complex issues as well. She is widely recognised among her peers for her extensive histamine knowledge and is often called upon for her expertise by many of us. (laughs) Her mission is to help her clients restore their health and live their best lives. I first met Luann, it must have been actually around five years ago now, while we were both studying nutritional medicine. And since then, I've seen Luann grow a supportive community and practice, educating and empowering her clients, who I'm sure Luann would agree can have a history of being bounced all over the medical system looking for answers. Today, Luann is joining me to talk all things histamine intolerances and the gut-brain access and how stress might actually be impacting those. Please join me in welcoming Luann to the podcast. Yay! Hi, Luann. Welcome. Hi, Brooke. How are you? I'm so glad to be here. I'm so glad to have you. Um, As we were just talking about quickly before, it's been a while since we've actually talked, so I'm really looking forward to actually diving into this today and having a chat with you. Yeah, and I'm sorry to tell you, it was about six or seven years ago when we met, when we were studying, so time has gone very far. Yeah, okay, six or seven, that probably makes sense. I was trying to look back on it and think about how long it's been. 
know we studied and since we've talked and things so far too long far too long all right so what I love to start with with my guests is for them to share a little bit of a story potentially about their health history and maybe what's led them to this point and how they became a practitioner yeah great well, um, I had digestive issues during my life, uh, particularly remember, you know, particular times where I had worse issues um, with things like reflux and heartburn and IBS and anxiety and things like that. And um, I was working in IT. Mm-hmm. I was an IT systems engineer and then later on a project manager. And I always had a love of cooking and I started to get more interested in health because I had tried a lot of elimination diets. I'd seen a lot of people. I'd tried a lot of things and the symptoms seemed to change and shift throughout my life, but I never seemed to get a resolution. And, you know, uh, at a certain point in time, I, I quit sugar and I started training to be a health coach and I, uh, you know, started uh, going paleo and I, I tried all sorts of wonderful, cool things. Um, and then I decided to sign up and, and study nutritional medicine. And soon after that, I had what I call a, a crash or my first, my first serious oh my God, I'm very unwell moment. And I had um, chronic fatigue syndrome or ME-CFS. And uh, at the time I had exposure to mold. I had rashes on my face and things, which now I realize are uh, histamine related, um, itchy eyes, all those kinds of things. And I did heavy metal treatments because I had heavy metal toxicity as well. And I went through um, a lot of functional medicine type of stuff, trying to fix things. And that was while I was studying. So I was kind of um, able to drag myself into student clinic one day a week and then sort of sleep the rest of the week <laughs> and uh, get myself through my qualifications and um, and then keep studying because I've always been a little bit of a, a an A-type loves to push myself, studying kind of person, which interestingly I see quite often with a lot of the people (laughs) I work with. Um, And uh, after I finished my nutrition training, that's when the histamine intolerance started. I was seeing clients and one day I, I went out with my partner. We had some Vietnamese pho. We had um, soft shell crabs. And I've been there many times. It was a local place and the pot of soup is sitting there boiling away all day. And um, afterwards, that evening, it was like I was suddenly on fire. I was hot and red and flushed. And I was still at that point uh, a little young for menopause. Um, uh, And, you know, I was like, what is going on? What is this? You know, um, the itchy red eyes started and I was like, well, this feels like what happened to me years back, um, you know, just before I I got really unwell. And so I 
done diets, elimination diets in the past, one of which is called the Royal Prince Alfred Hospital Diet. Mm -hmm. And that diet, um, I excluded a certain type of food group that contain amines. And amine is actually the family or the, the, the family group for histamine, which lives inside that group. And so I revisited my old information that I still had <laughs> and um, had a look at it. And I was like, hmm, has it got something to do with this again, right? Because it was a long time ago. It was like 15 years ago that I'd had that experience and I hadn't had any other problems since. And then I'd also done some process postgraduate training because they don't really teach you about this stuff at college um and i'd i looked into a lot of um different uh food methodologies or or treatment protocols and plans and i'd studied this bio-individual nutrition training and that had information on it as well and i started pulling it all together and finding that, okay, I think what I need to do is remove these foods again. And then when I looked into it deeper, I was like, oh, I don't necessarily need to remove all of the amines. It's the histamine. And I found out all about histamine intolerance, started getting into the research, starting to study and learn all of that stuff, which um, is definitely complex. Um, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> definitely complex. And it's also not a fun diet right because yeah. I used to eat all the high histamine foods all the time mm. um, and just to give people an idea of what the high histamine foods are they're things like tomatoes and avocado and um, cheeses and I'd used a lot of the fermented foods in the past as well because it's like heal your gut take fermented foods and those are high in histamine as well so it was a big change for me at the time. And um, I found the best way to deal with it for me then was cooking. And so I created a little recipe book <laughs> and started from there with helping people with histamine intolerance. Yeah, brilliant. And it's really interesting because I think most of the practitioners, you know, that I've talked to that I've had experience and, and know, we've all got this sort of journey, but yours, <coughs> you know, you had gut issues and then you started finding out that you had you know heavy metals and all these sort of progressive things that kind of built up with you over time and while you're treating those and you're doing all the right things and you're trying to eat you know healthy shall we use air quotes <laughs> to um, look after yourself then you suddenly having these reactions it's just I I remember seeing sort of snippets of how much that could possibly even impact your life too and to be able to at least have some passion for it and be studying throughout it, you know, you've got such a better knowledge that somebody else going through that same journey might have had, but still it's so hard. It would have been so hard for you, you know, sitting there and just constantly feeling uncomfortable and having these reactions and thinking, you know, you just want to eat some real food. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, you know, um, it was difficult in that, you know, the, the doctors don't really um, have a lot to offer. Mm -hmm. um, you know, my doctor at the time was kind of like, well, 
you can have an EpiPen just in case. And that actually increased my fear yeah. at that point. <laughs> and it actually made things worse in, 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 a, in a way um, because I went from kind of like I was managing things with food and I was still struggling to, oh, my God, I'm going to have to use an EpiPen. I'm going to have to go to hospital. And that kind of does take us into a little bit of the stress sort of stuff that we, we want to talk about as well. And then when I got, I actually just kept getting worse. So I went to actually some other um, professionals um, and tried different tests and different things, uh, quite complex functional medicine testing, quite complex treatments for mould or for this or that or the other, and they made me worse. And I progressively increased my reactivity and decreased my tolerance over time. And it actually got worse and worse. It was like a little steamroller. Yeah. Um, everything I tried, it made me worse, worse and worse. And I ended up, you know, in hospital with anaphylaxis and all of that sort of stuff um, because of the fact that the treatments I was doing were not necessarily really resolving the root cause. Um, a lot of the times the treatments that, that come up um, are still trying to fix something that's a symptom that's downstream. Yeah. yeah, yeah, band-aids rather than, you know, as we know, sort of more holistic and actually working on what the underlying cause is. Yeah. And it's, you know, conventional medicine, there's nothing wrong with those treatments. They can be highly necessary, obviously, in these conditions, but it's not preventative, you know. No, and even some of the stuff that I was doing that was what you'd call integrative or functional, with practitioners who are trained in, in complementary medicine, a lot of the a lot of the treatments or treatment protocols are still treating the the body um, like uh, you know supplements or medicine uh, are drugs in a way. Like it's very much like fix that symptom um, rather than that holistic whole body um, kind of approach that you expect. Um, when you're looking at, uh, you know, natural uh, medicine approaches. Yeah. So, yeah. All right, let's take a little step back. For my audience, for anybody who doesn't know, what is histamine intolerance? Yeah. So um, histamine intolerance is actually a furphy name. It's not actually an intolerance to histamine. It means you have an excess amount of histamine in your body. So the first way that we degrade histamine in food is through an enzyme in our gut called DAO. And the most simple form of histamine intolerance is not having enough of this particular enzyme in our stomach, which is pretty common. So many people are running around without enough digestive enzymes and having indigestion and things like that. So, you know, that's the first point really is simple histamine intolerance, not really got, got enough of that enzyme. So when you eat a food that contains histamine, you're not breaking it down. So that histamine is contributing to the body's load of histamine. And then histamine itself is a neurotransmitter. And it's actually essential in our body. It's responsible for our sleep-wake cycle. It actually helps to give us a bit of drive and motivation, but it also can create symptoms. 
And a lot of us are familiar with an antihistamine, which is a medicine which blocks histamine receptors, which we, you know, will take if we have a, have a allergies in the, in the spring with the pollen or, you know, that sort of thing. Well, histamine attaches to those same receptors that the antihistamine medication attaches to. And when the histamine in our body attaches, then we get symptoms. And the symptoms of histamine intolerance are wide and varied. And I'll, I'll mention those in a moment. Then more complexities that happen with histamine intolerance is foods that are called histamine liberators. And these histamine liberators do what they say. They liberate histamine from our body. And the primary way um, is mast cells that we have in our digestive tract that they can release histamine. So mast cells are like this little puffball um, like those little plants, the little puffball plants. And if you trigger it, it goes poof and all the little bits of puff come out. It's just like that. You get histamine that. and you get all these other inflama inflammatory cytokines. So they all poof out. And so that liberates histamine into the body. So you've got more histamine. Um, and then you can have people who have very sensitive mast cells. So they release more than others. And that can contribute to why when we talk about histamine intolerance, some people can have quite mild symptoms and some people can have quite serious symptoms. And the range of symptoms are so complex and so different. And that's because these mast cells release these anti-inflammatory cytokines that can connect to all the different organs in our body and create different symptoms in different organ systems. So that's the complexity that we get when we go from pure histamine intolerance to what I would call a more complex case of histamine intolerance. And, you know, we have this excess amount of histamine in our body. That's the primary cause of a lot of the symptoms. And then you have these other inflammatory cytokines creating other symptoms. Um, so let's talk about the symptoms. Yes. Some please. of the symptoms. <laughs> so the really obvious ones are allergy type symptoms. So people who have like, it feels like year round pollen allergy or something like that. But, you know, it's, it's not just in spring. It's all the time you're congested, you're stuffed up. You might have blocked ears or ear pain, sinusitis, sinus pain, all of that sort of stuff. Um, itchy, watery eyes. Is another one. And also um, it can affect the mouth as well. So you can get like swelling in the tongue, gums, uh, cheeks. Um, you can actually get like what feels like itchy, burny saliva. Um, and ears, you can get sort of itchy, burny ears. You can get hot ears, hot face, flushed face, rashes on the face, neck, hives. Um, you can also get other rashes on the rest of the body. A lot of people also have eczema, things like that. You can have breathing issues. So um, problems with catching breath or feeling like you can't get, get enough oxygen kind of feelings. Because um, obviously like when people have an allergy to things, that's also that same histamine response too. So yeah. a lot of those similar symptoms. Very similar. That's it. And you can get the swelling in the in the throat. 
Um, now, usually with histamine intolerance, the swelling in the throat's not the same as an allergic IgE reaction because those reactions are um, pretty much immediate. You know, you're exposed and it just boof happens and you might have anaphylaxis or you might have those other kinds of swelling symptoms. Um, with histamine intolerance and the mast cell activation, it's usually what you'd call a slow burn. Yeah. You have this sort of anaphylaxis that's always there. It's very odd because it's just this constant feeling of pressure and swelling and, and, and heat and possibly, you know, having some difficulties breathing. So people who do have those problems do have to make sure they have a, a care plan from their doctor or their specialist and EpiPens because it's one of those things where the slow burn can become um, life-threatening and you do need to go to a doctor. So you need to go to the hospital and, you, you know, and then they give you adrenaline, which is a bit of a rush um, <laughs> and you know you get get conventional medicine there that is essential it's life-saving right so yeah. you need that so being aware of your own personal symptoms because everyone's a bit different um, and then if we move down the body you get heart pal palpitations a lot of people particularly notice heart palpitations after eating it's very much kind of a thing um, and also uh, fatigue after eating. So mm -hmm. that's quite common, um, fatigue generally and fatigue after eating. Um, then other issues um, like digestive issues, so heartburn, reflux, uh, gas, bloating, indigestion, abdominal pain, constipation and diarrhoea. Mm -hmm. Those are all quite related. And interestingly enough, um, in studies, people who have mass, who have IBS, have been found to have a slightly higher number of mast cells in their digestive tract. Yeah. And so, IBS, IBS seems to be this really wildly sort of used term these um, days for anything digestive. And potentially there's so many people out there that are not going to investigate some of these other things like whether they have, you know, elevated histamine levels in these mast cell issues that might be contributing. Yeah, and often, um, you know, IBS is kind of like, oh, it's just IBS. Yeah, when everything else is ruled out. <laughs> yeah, and the thing about IBS, of course, is it's often the start. Yeah. And, um, I, you know, like my own life, the, the fact that sometimes these things are not fully addressed and over time it gets worse. Um, and then, you know, you can get other symptoms like hot um, and cold intolerance. So problems with too much heat, like I couldn't have hot showers, you know, um, problems with being outside in the cold because it actually brings on a mast cell reaction. Uh, cold hands and toes um, because of circulation issues. Um, so there's a lot of different, all the organ systems in our body um, contain mast cells and are um, influenced by uh, mast cells. Bladder pain, um, that's another one. There, you know, there are mast cells lining our bladder. So you get a lot of that. And then, of course, PMS and increased period pain. Um, there's a higher amount of estrogen. Uh, and usually you see more of that estrogen dominance where the body's struggling because there's loads of estrogen and there's loads of histamine 
and the body's trying to release all of that through our liver and our, our bowels and our detoxification systems and it's 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 just overwhelmed um so yeah there's a lot of that as well mm. so many things yeah is there any sort of um i guess who's more susceptible to these kind of things so i do see it happen more as people age mm-hmm. so much more women because women are also having the estrogen but i do see a lot of men as well but yes more slightly more women there uh and also yeah the perimenopause kind of 40s 50s you do get it a lot more there but i see a surprising amount of women who are still in their 30s as well so i think that um our digestive systems with each generation are getting a little worse mm. and we're starting to see more of these things in younger people. Yeah, definitely. So, you know, I, I, I do see, you know, people in their teens and 20s even who are starting to have these issues as well. Yeah. Okay. We talked a lot about, you know, some of the digestive issues that people might see. What sort of role, I guess, does the gut have when we're talking about this? So my uh, point of view is that the gut is the one main essential part of what's going on with histamine intolerance. Um, About 80 percent of our immune system is actually in our gut Mm -hmm. from our microbes our gut microbes and so our immune system is overactive and reacting to things but why is that well a lot of the reason yes we've got things like leaky gut where we have intestinal permeability is the official name for leaky gut where things are getting through the gut lining and into the bloodstream. And the main reason or problem around that is that these things are not meant to be there. They trigger our immune system and, you know, we start having reactions. But then we also have uh, receptors in our gut and those receptors can uh, be triggered by things that our immune system is looking for. And usually those are things like bacteria and, um, you know, yeast and things that it's like, oh, parasites, maybe these shouldn't be here. And it's looking for those as well. And what happens most of the time is we have an imbalance in our gut bacteria. So too many of certain types of bacteria and often in the wrong place as well. So, you know, certain bacteria are supposed to live in our colon and a a lesser amount of certain bacteria in our small intestine. So having too much of the wrong bacteria in the wrong place can be a problem. Yeah. But also too little of the good bacteria. And so I see that people have had a history of a lot of antibiotic use, Mm-hmm. and often also their mothers have and this is kind of what I mentioned with it it seems to be getting worse and I think a lot of that is generational um, that we're being exposed to high amounts of antibiotics 
Some of that's through our food supply as well. And then a lot of it is just through um, a conventional medical history. Um, you know, I know I had masses of ear infections when I was a kid and I got so yeah. many antibiotics. And that's still fairly common. It's getting a bit better. But um, a lot of the, the, that antibiotic use, things like heavy metals, that actually if you've got the metal in your mouth, uh, you know, that's an antibacterial. It kills bacteria. Um, you've also got food. So if you're not eating the kind of food that are going to feed good bacteria, you're, you're feeding the bad guys. And so we've got this little concoction in our stomach, in our gut, that is not serving us. And these little receptors on our gut lining are picking all of that up because the yeah. bacteria have kind of these little lipopolysaccharides on the outside and other little receptors and they hook on and the immune system sees those and it goes, oh, right, fight, fight, fight. Yeah. But they're inside you. <laughs> so the, the, the immune system can't really get rid of them. Um, so that's definitely a big part of the picture, a huge yeah. part. And then the other part is to do with our nervous system. So our brain and our gut are connected by the vagus nerve. Mm -hmm. And this, this nerve is really important. And 20% of the information goes from our brain to our gut. 80% is going back from our gut and some of our other organs through our autonomic nervous system to our brain. Yeah. So these bacteria are amazing. They do something called quorum sensing. They send out signals to each other and these signals transfer up the vagus nerve to the brain. It's crazy. And these, these bacteria are so important in our state of health. And I think we're starting to realize that much more now, but this communication up and down from the brain to the gut has a huge amount of influence over our health. Absolutely. And what you're describing here is what we class as the gut-brain access. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think that's a term that sort of more and more people are really um, using these days. And I think it, you know, if I can point out here, pay attention here, people. <laughs> Because what Luan's actually describing is a really great way of understanding it. Yeah, yeah. And as well as that gut-brain axis, our brain controls our autonomic nervous system. Mm -hmm. And our autonomic nervous system is basically like this web of nerves that run down through into our entire body. So the vagus nerve is one of them, and it's called the wandering nerve because it wanders through our body and connects to lots of organs as well and so if we are experiencing stress if we are dealing with trauma if we are dealing with life <laughs> and life is busy and rushed and people lose jobs and they lose partners in relationships or they're stuck in a long-term difficult or um you know Traumatic relationship. <laughs> yeah, and there's been a huge increase in domestic violence in the last yeah. couple of years. Um, you know, if they have had experiences of bullying at work or as a child, if you've been the child of 
a parent who's had depression or anxiety, <clears throat> alcoholism, uh, poverty. So these, a lot of these big things that I've mentioned are called the adverse child experiences or ACE. And there have been studies around ACE scores and the increase in general chronic illness based around these. But also the smaller things, the, the, the things like being made redundant and, you know, or losing your house or have, even having to change countries, you know, they're all stressful things, starting a new job. Yeah. All stressful things. And we underestimate the fact that in our current fast-paced society, these things pile up. Oh, I think that so many of the clients that I see underestimate their stress levels and what they've got going on in life absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> I you know people come and say oh, I'm not really very stressed well tell me about what's going on well yeah all of these things and you just like, wow that actually does sound quite challenging and after they have a think about it it's like yeah, I suppose it is. <laughs> and, and have this ability know, to sort of manage things, you know, particularly, I have to say, particularly women a lot, yeah. you know, these days, things keep getting thrown at you. And if you were just managing them, you kind of lose sight of the stress that they create for you, but yeah. also potentially the impact that that stress has on the body too. Yeah, so basically, you know, it's, I call it normalised stress, right? It's, 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 you are a frog and you're in a pot of water and that pot of water just gets turned up a degree, a degree, a degree, a degree. And you don't notice because it's a nice warm spa bath and you're just hanging out and you're doing your thing. And over time gets hotter and hotter and now you're in boiling water and you are struggling and you kind of feel like but isn't this how it is for everybody I love that because <laughs> everybody you look over and there's your best friend and she's in her own pot of boiling water yeah. and you know there's your brother or you know your cousin and they're in the same pot of boiling water and so is all the other women at school and all the other blokes at work and you're just like is this really what life is and does it have to be this way and you know some of it is around expectation yes. and some of it's around also our perception of stress as well um, and all of those things build up and make changes to our physiology so it's not actually all in our head you know, a lot of time you go to the doctor and it's like, oh, it's just IBS. It's just stress. Just, you know, relax. Yeah, yeah. Easier said than done. <laughs> or a lot of people, you know, who I come in contact with as well, you've been to the doctor for things like fatigue or, you know, all these random illnesses. And they're like, well, you don't have an allergy. Your blood tests are normal. I don't see any problem. Off you go. Yeah. Take an antihistamine and an EpiPen. That's like the kind of thing that I got. And so when you get told that you're normal, there's nothing wrong, there's nothing we can do, then it becomes, well, it's just all in my head then. Like, what is it? And then that becomes another stressor. Yeah. But the reality is it's not psychological in that way. It's actually physiological. There's lots of really interesting research that's starting to hit the mainstream now from the last 20 years. 
And it's showing the physiological changes to our body from constant stress. What are some of the things that it might look like when we're sort of talking about our gut and histamines? So in our digestive system, that relies on our body being relaxed to eat. And a lot of people might have heard of things like the fight, flight, rest and digest, which are a couple of different modes of our nervous system, right? And this is connected to this autonomic nervous system that I just talked about and the vagus nerve. So our body, when we're in relaxed mode, it digests our food, it sends the blood to our gut, our gut repairs itself, everything's perfect. When our body is in fight flight or stress mode, this is when everything shifts and it happens in an instant. And our brain sends the message to the rest of our body, stop sending blood to the gut, send it to the muscles, we need to run. We need to fight, fight, flight, right? That's what it's about. We need to run. We need to fight. And so all these things in our body that are like things that help us heal and feel good are deprioritized. And all the things that we need to run are put first. So our muscles turn on and you get a lot of people with this constant muscle tension, particularly in the neck and shoulders, you know, arms, like I used to be like that too, like coat hanger. And we are stuck in this mode of fight flight and we don't even feel it. We don't even realize it because it is this normalized stress, right? We're this little frog in the boiling water who's basically in Kung Fu mode, like trying to fight, trying to flight, run. And we don't get blood and nutrients to our gut, to our organs, and they don't heal because we don't get into that rest, digest, heal or repair mode. And so our gut lining slowly becomes worn out over time. That's where the leaky gut starts. Mm -hmm. And then the pH of our gut will change. So the good bacteria and the bad bacteria like different pH levels or, or levels of acidity. And so that will, that will shift and the, the good bacteria will start having like a pretty bad time of it because the bad bacteria love this new environment and they're having a party and they're, you know, heavy metal guys, like imagine they're just full on taking <laughs> over the whole place. And so we see that kind of thing happening. And then, of course, our digestive enzymes don't occur. Stomach acid doesn't happen because our body is busy focusing on everything else, our muscles, focusing our brain on problem solving and getting the hell away from the bear. <laughs> and it stops creating the right level of stomach acid that we need and the right digestive enzymes. And if we don't have the right amount of stomach acid, that's when we start getting that small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, the SIBO, because the bacteria find that they can live further up the digestive tract quite happily because they don't have that stomach acid that's helping to control their growth yeah, um, so and also the digesting their food so that the food's not available for them to, to ferment. 
Yeah. So that's, you know, what you were talking about before, you know, these bacteria that are found in the small intestine and large intestine moving into other areas that they shouldn't be, whether yeah. it's into the gut or other yeah. parts of the intestine, things like that. So, yeah. It's, and also, you know, when, uh, when we're in this fight-flight mode, because the nervous system to our gut turns off, we don't get movement through the gut. Mm-hmm. So when you're not getting that movement, which is, you know, called motility of the gut, that's when you see a lot of constipation. Yeah. And that's when things that are in there, the food that's in there gets to hang around longer than necessary and the bacteria don't get cleaned out because our gut has a natural process where it cleans out our gut. And if we are not able to access that because our body is not focusing on those things, then that makes things worse. You've got this really slow moving gut and then, you know, you end up with more problems. Yeah, it allows this sort of dominance of some of those bacteria and pathogens and things like that that yeah. either aren't meant to be in the area or aren't meant to be at the level that we find them at. Yeah, and it's all about proportion because a lot of these things are good bacteria in the right amount. But once there's too many of them, then they're not. Yeah, it's like people would have heard of candida. We actually, you know, candida overgrowth might be something that people have heard about. We need candida to a certain level, but it's when we exceed that Mm. um, because of changes within the gut, that's where it starts to create problems and issues, exactly like we're talking about. Absolutely. And when you see candida, often there's SIBO. That's actually, that's the reason why um, the candida is happening um, because we don't have the right bacteria in the right place that effectively act like soldiers and keep the candida at the right level. Yeah, we like it all diverse and we like the right ranges and amounts of things in the right places. (laughs) That's what we're aiming for when we go for gut health. (laughs) That's what we're aiming for. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And lots of diversity. So... This histamine obviously impairs our, you know, gut function effectively. Stress is impacting on that, as we've talked about. Um, How can this also then potentially impact our brain function maybe, um, some of our mood changes that might happen too? Yeah. So... The brain itself, over time, with repeated trauma, can actually change. And you can actually see the primitive parts of our brain, which is called our limbic system. And some people may have heard of the amygdala or um, the limbic system, but this is what we would call the part of our brain that we share with all animals. It's that instinctive part of our brain. And then we have like our prefrontal cortex, which is our logic, and it helps us problem solve and think of stuff and do all the things. But this part of our brain actually can get more dominant. It can get bigger. It can spread into the rest of the brain, the amygdala. And so we can actually find that we go into this uh, position where we're actually stuck in fight flight 
we're stuck in a certain level of low, either low level functioning anxiety or I, you know, a lot of people with histamine intolerance end up really in that panic end of things as well because of symptoms. And what happens is we start with all these stresses and then when we end up unwell, then that's more and it piles on top. And then we've got fear of food and fear of symptoms as well as dealing with all the other difficulties in life. And this part of our brain is basically stuck, right? It's taking over and our prefrontal cortex is not getting much time. It's not getting a look in. And because, of course, we've got the communication up and down from the vagus nerve, We've got, there's been a link as well between um, beneficial gut bacteria and diet and anxiety. We've yeah. found some links around that already. So, you know, what comes first? Is it the brain or is it the gut or is it both? They're so connected, it's sometimes hard to tell. But we know that if we can nurture good bacteria in the gut, we can help with anxiety but also if we can work on the brain and the stress mechanisms that are happening in the brain, we can affect our gut and we can affect the rest of the symptoms in our body. Yeah, I love that because, you know, for the most part, people will notice, you know, if they've suddenly got some extra stress in their life that they might get those IBS kind of symptoms starting to occur, you know, trips to the toilet more often, things like that. And it's just these tiny little things that it's almost like these warning signals that a lot of them will ignore. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, you think about it. Diarrhea is our body evacuating everything out of our body because it's in a stressful situation. And that's what our body is meant to do. You know, if you're being attacked, people yeah. often during bank robberies and things like that, that will happen. They'll pee themselves, they'll poo themselves because our body instantly goes, that's not important, out. Yeah. Lighten the load so you can run faster. <laughs> so if you've got constant diarrhea or alternating constant, you know, diarrhea and, and constipation and stuff like that, then you can see there like your body is kind of, trying to get things out and it's not always the food it's often it can be the stress mm. and then there was another point I think around particularly to something you mentioned around you know mental health and anxiety and things like yeah. that too I've seen a lot more studies coming out around diet improving gut health and and the impact positive impact that that's actually having on uh, depression cases as well just simple little changes that people are making but that's obviously improving that gut microbiome you know and all the sort of bacteria levels and things that are going on um, but it is also I guess improving the area you know we've got a lot of neurotransmitters that are produced in our gut too by our gut yeah that are improving our mood and our melatonin and our serotonin, you know, all of these kind of things. I think it's, it's fascinating that we can have these reactions just from how well we look after our gut and what we're eating. <laughs> yeah, and it's, and it's bi-directional too. So I think it's, you know, 70 or 80% of the serotonin in our bodies created in our gut by bacteria that are actually releasing serotonin. They eat your food. And they send out serotonin it's awesome yeah 
But interestingly, we can also influence it bi-directionally. Mm -hmm. So I use a lot of um, tools and techniques as well in my practice that work on using our mind to shift that stuck um, situation that's going on to create positive neurochemistry. So actually using tools and techniques to create more serotonin, more dopamine and less adrenaline and less, you know, um, cortisol and things like that. And that also has an influence because that's shifting us out of the fight flight and into that rest and digest as well. So you can work on it both ways. So I guess that's talking about our neuroplasticity, so our ability to be able to create new networks, neurons and pathways and things if we get stuck or they get damaged or anything like that. Yeah, so the, the concept of neuroplasticity is that our brain is changeable. And it's always changeable. And, it, you know, it used to be thought 20 years ago that once we hit teenage sort of yes. 20s, it was fixed. That was it. That's we it were done. who we were. <laughs> Bam. But the truth is, is that our brains are always changing in response to what's around us. And, you know, there are really um, simple ways of seeing these kind of things. Like neuroplasticity is when you learn how to drive a car. At first, it's really complex, but then it happens without you even noticing you're driving and you can go from A to B and not even remember how you got there. Yeah. It happens when we learn to ride a bike and we haven't done it for years and we jump on a bike and we figure it out in five minutes and then we're off again because those are like old neural pathways or the the driving one is a strong neural pathway. And then you have ones that, a weak neural pathway is like learning French when you were 14, you know, <laughs> and it is the same for symptoms in our body because our brain is controlling our vagus nerve and our autonomic nervous system. And it's telling different organs in our body what to do. We can use our brain to change our symptoms by using the power of neuroplasticity. We can actually change our brain and that is just it's so powerful because it means that even when you're at your darkest point there is something you can do and it's something that you have this these tools that you can make changes to what's happening you can take back the control and the power of being able to help your body heal yeah, I love that. Yeah. Um, and I might ask you sort of in a few minutes for some tools that people might be able to use, not necessarily those ones specifically, but something that might be able to help. Do you see stress in any other way really impacting that histamine response or, or mast cells in any other way? that we've? Yeah. So, I mean, histamine is actually created in our brain. Um, in that limbic system so the limbic system itself is obviously influencing the creation of it and then that gets sent to the mast cells for storage and stressful situations are influencing our mast cells to be more trigger happy (laughs) 
And I see, I see the way the brain works and stress works as well as creating kind of an immune hypervigilance mm-hmm. where we have an immune system that's now either attacking things that are perfectly safe, like some food, yeah. uh, attacking things that are actually us, like autoimmune diseases, mm-hmm. where it's attacking our own tissue, which is, you know, it's us. Um, or, you know, you can get the, the imbalanced immune system as well, where people are, you know, always sick, always getting all the colds or, you know, that sort of stuff as well. But basically this, this immune system that is out of balance and trigger happy and looking for a fight. So I see that immune system is in fight flight, like it's literally, you know, doing its Kung Fu moves and it's waiting for something to come to attack it. So they're really, yeah, really, really trigger happy um, immune system. And people do notice that a lot, you know, people will notice so much. You go on holiday, you can eat anything you want. (laughs) You feel really happy. You're even eating gluten, you know, <laughs> like you're even eating croissants in France or something like that. And then, you know, something stressful occurs and, you know, you break out in hives, you get a migraine. Oh, that's one of the ones I didn't talk about very much with the symptoms, headaches, migraines. Mm. And those are stress response related. And, you know, we can help a lot of the stuff with a low histamine diet. Like that's why... You know, when you're following a low histamine diet, you're reducing the level of histamine being added to your body. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there are a few other things we didn't talk about that can help influence histamine being released in your body by mast cells. And that's because of this trigger happy immune system. So, you know, things like mold and pollen and you know, cats, all the, the things that are your normal allergies, um, the mast cells also can release to those as well. Um, so you can get that stuff happening and then you can get the stress component coming in as well. And I kind of see this combination of the food, which is one of the things we can control, um, exposure to different toxins or environmental things, which we can partially control, but we do also need to be very careful of going down a rabbit warren of over controlling because, we naturally as human beings have lived in the environment with mold, with pollen, with animals for many, many years. And, you know, naturally we should be able to cope with that. And so if it's a really big problem, that should only be something that we're temporarily uh, removing ourselves from. Um, But definitely, you know, people who are in jobs where they're working with chemicals like hairdressers and things like that, those are the kinds of things we need to, yeah, you need to remove yourself from that, that, some of that exposure. And then we've got the stress component that comes in and it's almost like 50% in a way, you know. And then we've got our gut bacteria, which is also technically environmental because our gut is technically outside of ourselves because <laughs> it's, it's in us, but it's actually like it's the, the gut lining keeps it separate from us. Um, you know, the gut is outside of ourselves, it's like a little sausage. And so, you know, those, those three core sort of things are filling up what we can sometimes call the histamine bucket, which is our capacity for 
uh, basically uh, breaking down histamine and other things that are in our body that need to be excreted before we get symptoms. Yeah. Okay. So it's, you know, I mean, when it comes back to this term of intolerance, you know, that we know is slightly incorrect, but it also sort of paints that picture when we talk about intolerance that we get to a certain level. There's so many things that influence it. And then there is just this point it crosses, (laughs) whether that's, you know, whatever factor, but highly likely it's stress then that tips us over the edge and we get this extremely full histamine bucket as we talk about. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, addressing these sort of three pillars of this, the, the food and diet and, and making changes to our diet that can not only um, temporarily remove foods but also heal the gut because of changing the way we eat and how we eat and how we cook. And there are loads of different things you can do to actually improve the way our gut functions just from the way we do things and the way we eat. And then also improving our stress levels and working on changing our nervous system and realizing that it's not all about current stress, but also past stress that is basically stored in our our nervous system and can feel like we're perfectly fine in a lot of ways because we're functioning. And then this bucket of the environmental and the gut fits in probably I would say the majority of that because what's going on in the gut is the primary thing that we can't avoid we can't move away from we can't avoid the you know like we would with pollen where it's oh it's springtime we won't go outside you can't do that it's inside you (laughs) and so addressing the gut um, as one of the primary parts of the treatment plan and restoring our microbiome. And for me, it's very much not killing more things <laughs> um, because, you know, the, 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 the way people have been practising um, in, the, in the last 20 years or so since we found out more about gut stuff, a, a lot of it is about taking antibiotics and taking herbal medicines to, to kill off bacteria and kill off parasites and kill off yeast. But I found that I see people who've had multiple rounds of treatment and are no better off or had periods of remission. Um, and so really focusing on that restoration of the good gut bacteria which crowd out the bad bacteria instead of just killing everything again and probably just getting the same result um, is something that I like to do. I like to focus on doing things completely differently than everybody else. (laughs) That's my motto. (laughs) I have to say though I work a little bit similarly you know it's putting in enough of the good food or putting in enough of the good bacteria and these kind of things so that you can build things up rather than trying to eradicate everything that's not meant to be there, um, which can actually cause more symptoms. You know, we talk about a healing crisis and things getting worse before it's getting better. Yeah. A lot of that 
can be because they'll go in with an atom bomb and try you know and kill, kill everything yeah oh. yeah and this is this is why I don't have your clients coming to me because <laughs> you're healing their good gut bacteria and you're feeding them up and yeah because if you do just throw in a big huge nuclear bomb you do have a lot of symptoms and I find you know people with histamine intolerance are really sensitive to treatment mm, yeah. and so working in a, a gentle way that often takes a little bit more time but you're going to get the results because you're not going to get halfway into treatment and the symptoms are so severe you have to stop yeah. um, working with understanding that there are always going to be a, a few symptoms because you're changing the gut microbiome and when the bad bacteria die off they like to cause problems on their way out um but yeah really focusing on gentle treatment that improves what has been decimated often in the past over generations sometimes um and being able to bring that back to see those those really great levels of the good gut bacteria and being able to like actually treat histamine intolerance without the high histamine fermented foods, you know, without a lot of those really common treatments that almost everyone has tried and then gone, oh, now this diet, this thing, this treatment is causing me more problems because it's high in histamine or it's paleo, so it's feeding the wrong gut bacteria or, you know, that sort of thing yeah. um, that we see quite often. Let's talk a little bit about diet because my listeners know that I love food and love to talk about food. <laughs> now, when we're talking histamine intolerances particularly, yeah. as you've mentioned, we want to look at a lower histamine diet. Mm -hmm. And the reaction I get from many people when I start to talk about histamine diet, you know, there's these lists effectively yeah. of high histamine foods, moderate histamine foods, low histamine foods, mm -hmm. and it can be very overwhelming for people, as you've probably experienced yourself in the past. Mm, yeah, I started like everybody else with um, trying to figure out the lists. And there are multiple lists yeah. um, out there as well. Um, mm. So it can be even more confusing. <laughs> yeah, it's on one list, it's on this, and it's, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, what's your sort of approach around diet? Is it? A forever thing is it something that we want to approach for a shorter period of time yeah so we do start with the low histamine diet at first mm -hmm. as a way of uh, so elimination diets are actually the gold standard test for food sensitivity so regardless of the tests that are out there um, in research um, you know studies and things like that gold standard in practice is considered to be do an elimination diet so you take foods out and then you put them back in and so you know i've got my own food list that um you know people can get that free i have it on my on my website and that's created from my own research my own experience and the reason why a lot of different lists are different is because different practitioners have slightly different experience in research and also there's not a lot of money in researching how much histamine is in food 
And histamine levels in food can vary depending on where it's grown, Mm. depending on when it was picked, and depending on how long you've had it in the cupboard. So... um, Really good point, actually. Really good point. Really Because we list them all generally, but, you know, completely different food sources and things like that. Yeah, and so, you know, a green tomato does not have histamine levels that a red tomato has. Interesting. I've got a lot of green tomatoes at the moment. Yeah. And so, you know, when you're looking at, uh, at the low histamine diet and you're looking at the different lists and, and things like that, also understanding that the lists are informed by, as well as the limited research, by client um, or or uh, patient surveys mm-hmm. and, and things like that. And so people who are saying, oh, I have a problem with this food, tick the box, they have their own individual conditions like SIBO that means that they're having problems with fibres or they have mast cells that really like to react to a particular food. It doesn't contain histamine. It's just reacting to the protein in that food. And also understanding that proteins change. So the protein in an egg is different in a cake than it is raw or than it is in a scrambled egg. Yes. Yeah. And so, you know, um, understanding the differences between the nuances, but you can't write everything into a list. It's <laughs> the thing. And so I really think people need to take the list with a pinch of salt. I've got this list, take it, use it, but it's not a Bible. Like no list is, is the truth. Um, and people can get a little bit attached to this list must be right or I must be wrong or something around, you know, the way they are. But the reality is it's a guideline and we take it as a base to experiment from. And so when we start, we do usually go with the low histamine option. And I have three columns in my little list and column one is eat me. (laughs) This is the one like Alice in Wonderland, eat this column, right? And then we've got a column for testing. And those are all the foods that are, Things that people are either they're controversial because some people say they're a problem and other people say they're not, or um, they're moderate histamine, you know, or most people tolerate them even though they're considered to have some histamine in them, things like that. And then you've got your high histamine foods. And so when you take them out, you normally take out all of the highs and, and, and all of the tests, and then you just focus on that initial piece of these eat me foods for a a couple of weeks and people can usually tell if they have an improvement you're usually going to tell within a couple of weeks yeah you know so you don't normally need to keep going for six weeks until you can tell if it's sort of happening you can tell pretty early on and then usually if it is helping then your your symptoms will settle and you'll feel better over a few weeks And then the idea, of course, is you remove the foods temporarily and you have a plan for reintroduction and you have a plan for resolving the underlying causes. And so everybody's 
underlying causes, you know, like there's three different types of SIBO. There's different, there's candida, there's all sorts of stuff going on. So they might have something slightly different to the person next to them, but fixing those underlying causes is what you need to do so you can reintroduce foods. Yeah. Yeah. So some people that only takes a few weeks because they might actually have a fairly simple thing going on. Some people, it might take months. It really depends on what's going on under the hood. And also, if we're able to also address the stress component and anything else in that environmental component. Because the people I see have the best results are the people who work on their stress and the tools they can use. And they also often make changes in their life. You know, they don't overschedule themselves. And they change some of the things they do and how they interact and do some simple lifestyle changes like taking walks and spending time in nature and, you know, that sort of stuff. So those things are all integral to reintroduction. And when I work with people, I like to reintroduce as soon as possible. As soon as we feel that they're feeling pretty good, we get into the test me column because that still doesn't have really, really high histamine foods. Yeah. So you're sort of working into that. Test me, what do these foods uh, do for me? Because to get diverse gut bacteria, we need a diverse diet. Yes. And so focusing on, have I got all the colours of the rainbow? Can I eat more fibre now? You know, what, what am I not eating that I could add in to get more diversity in my diet? Mm. Yeah. And then that long term of the high histamine foods is, that holy grail that everyone wants and you work towards that slowly and sometimes people are like I can eat spaghetti bolognese once a week but I can't eat it every day (laughs) you know and sometimes people actually do get to the point where they can eat absolutely anything any day whatever and then other people are kind of like I'll eat sort of lowish histamine like most of the week and on the weekend I can kind of go out and I can have a glass of wine and I'm good So everyone's a bit different as to where they get to as well. But there's no reason to say that you should be stuck with this forever. And I've had clients come to me who've been told, you're just going to have to eat this way for the rest of your life. And that's just, that's very insensitive and really makes me sad. Mm -hmm. And um, so many people get this kind of information from either a practitioner or in a Facebook group or on Instagram or something like that from someone who well-meaning giving them this kind of information which unfortunately it's also been shown in studies that when we're told something it's much more likely to become true and I think that's really important because you know we've discussed it elimination diets they aren't you know forever unless we have a significant allergy or you know even a sort of significant intolerance to certain foods we don't want to be trying to actually avoid foods and food groups for our life if we can possibly help it so you know a low fog map diet um, particularly some of the other elimination diets when we're talking about a low histamine diet it's effectively another elimination style of eating that we don't want to be doing it our whole lives yeah you're going to to manage it but There are so many different types of elimination diet. You've got 
the the low histamine you've got low fodmap you've got low oxalate you've got low lectin you've got low salicylate you've got low glutamate if you eliminate everything you have water and air and i know because i ended up there like i was literally at one point i was on five foods you know like it wasn't that makes me want to just cry i know and i was stuck like that for a couple of years almost and so you know knowing that the the damage that can happen um it's it's hard because you want to inform people you want people to know that you know yes you can react to foods and food groups and and things like that but also you don't have to have this forever Mm. um you know it's it's not part of your identity and it's just a passing happening that you can work on and you can improve whether you go to eating absolutely everything and having gluten and eating croissants in France or whether you are still on a a smaller range and you might be you know still gluten-free but you're eating, say you're eating dairy that you weren't eating or you're eating tomatoes. So your life is improved exponentially mm. because food equals freedom. Absolutely. And the biggest issue with the diets like this is you can't eat out. You can't travel. You can't go to friends and family's houses because life becomes small. Yeah. And Unless they have you to show them how they can actually do that. That's <laughs> it. They need, they need help. And look, I needed the help, but there wasn't anyone to help me. So I, I did a lot of it myself. But I also did find um, different programs that worked on different things like brain stuff. And, you know, I, taught, I learned to be a meditation teacher. I, I have learned to be something called a a map coach, which is a works with core beliefs. Um, so working with lots of different areas and uh, and finding out about those has informed my own health. And then you can pass that on. And now yeah. it's like all I want to do is just I just want to help everyone, but I can't. I can't. I'm only one person. But you know, being able to try and um, let people know that that there is hope and that if it hasn't worked in the past, maybe it's because some components were missing. Yeah. You know, um, I know people who've been on a low histamine diet, but they just had a list of foods and they weren't told about cooking and shopping. They weren't told about other things that they could do with the way they eat. And they definitely weren't told about stress and given any tools and techniques. So when you bring everything in together, you can get results where people may have had problems in the past and not seen what they the results that they expected or hoped for. So oh, I can I can see it now. You know, there's somebody out there with histamine intolerance who's been told to eat a low histamine diet, and yet they're sitting at their work desk. They're working fifty hours. They're shoveling food into them because they're stressed because they've got no time to eat. And still wondering why those, you know, that sort of style of diet potentially is not seeing the improvement that they want to. So there's there's so much more than just potentially the foods, as you say, it's all of the other factors that can influence that. The food and the supplements can only do so much, but if our digestive tract 
is not in that rest, digest, repair mode, you're not going to get full healing. Yeah. You know, you, you can get some improvements, but you're not necessarily going to get what you want. Yeah. And yeah. So we've probably, yeah, absolutely. We've probably covered a couple of these as you've gone through, but yeah. have you got some tips for listeners who uh, may be uh, diagnosed with histamine intolerance or suspect that they have histamine intolerance? Yeah, so if you suspect that you do, easiest thing is to grab my free list and have a look at the foods on there and start you know you don't even have to eliminate everything if you're not um, having very strong symptoms you might just pull out the top high histamine foods and see how you go but following that list for a couple of weeks will give you that answer you'll go okay well it helps when I have less histamine in my food so therefore there's probably something going on with my gut there may be a few other things that are triggering histamine And how's my stress levels? What's going on in my life? Is there anything I can do here as well? So first step is that's how you find out you have histamine intolerance. There are tests that you can do, but they don't actually tell you you have histamine intolerance. They tell you information like the DAO level in your blood, Mm -hmm. but that doesn't tell you how much you've got in your gut, which is where you're lacking the the primary area you're lacking the enzyme so you can do tests like they do for mast cells they test for things like tryptase which is one of the cytokines that gets released from the mast cell these tests are very tricky they have to be kept at a very cold temperature immediately after the blood's taken and they're false negative false positive half the time like the most people i know go well they still said that i probably have this but the tests are negative because we actually they're not at a point with testing and research to understand it enough to have really good tests for it yeah so that's one of the reasons why if you do go to the doctor the doctor doesn't recognize histamine intolerance because usually they need to have it um, on um, somewhere like the cdc in america or in australia the, the the medicare where it is listed as a recognized illness and it usually has tests that relate directly to it so that they can tick a couple of boxes and we don't really have that so obviously if you do have lots of symptoms that's when you might need to go and see an allergist and immunologist because you may need more support in the short term in in your immune system so some people need to take specific medications now it doesn't mean that taking those medications means you can just avoid the rest of it because you'll stay on those medications for the rest of your life as well as the low histamine diet yeah so yeah start with the list and then if that works for you see a practitioner preferably you want to see a nutritionist or a naturopath that understands histamine intolerance and can help you work on your gut that's kind of the ideal that you want to start with um do you have other tips i was gonna say do you have one tip around people who might have a histamine intolerance and how they handle their stress yeah so there are a few ways um One is 
things like yeah, over scheduling. So reviewing what you're doing in your day and what you can say no to and what you can shift and kind of prioritizing space for yourself, even if it's 15 minutes between meetings, so you can actually go to the toilet and have a drink of water, which a lot of people are just running uh, from place to place and they there's no downtime. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I recommend creating those spaces and then using those spaces to do things like maybe a simple breathing technique. So you can do something called alternate nostril breathing where you breathe through the left side of the nose and then you breathe out through the right side of the nose. You usually hold your finger over your nostril so you can't accidentally breathe out the other one. (laughs) And by doing that, that slows down our breath and that helps to push us into that rest, digest, repair mode. So that slowing of the breath can really help. And so by building gaps into your day, And by building small techniques of breathing slowly and helping to shift your nervous system, that can be really helpful. And also even better, the triple threat in nature. So you've got a break, you're in a park and you're doing some slow breathing or maybe even meditating on a beach if you're lucky, you know, something like that to bring in, um, a little bit of peace, a moment of peace, because being in nature um, brings us naturally um, a state of calm. And that's just due to the fact that we grew up from, you know, Paleolithic times, running around in forests and, and on savannas. And so nature is calming and healing and helpful for us. Because even though it's been hundreds of years. We are not that far evolved from that in, in our primitive brains. And we all know how good it feels. And there's so many studies in how getting outside can help our mental health, our gut health, you know, general well-being and trigger mm. all the right happy little neurotransmitters so we keep our mood positive and calm. I love it. <laughs> Even just listening to birdsong or ocean waves or running water, there is an explosion of videos on YouTube where you can listen to nature sounds. That's a Um, great idea because it's pretty cold here at the moment. So you need a bit of encouragement to go out into nature. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, those those are quite simple tools that, you know, you can use those to slow down a bit. And um, there are a lot more, you know, but starting just starting with can I create some space because our brains never get space anymore and that's what we need to be able to help turn off that fight flight Mm. create that healing state in our body that that really helps to progress any other treatment that we take absolutely Excellent. Wow. So much knowledge and so many great tips and little um, tidbits through our interview and chat today. I'm absolutely loving it. I think, you know, I've even learned some things which I like to learn of you anyway when I see. Um, But hopefully listeners out there today have got a better understanding about, you know, what histamines are, how they are treated in the body, 
Um, also their effect and stress's effect on our gut and our brain too and the outcomes that that can create, unfortunately, for us. If anybody wants to come and find out more information on how they can work with you, Luann, how they might be able to get hold of your list, I think it's um, free, as you were said to them, how they can actually subscribe to that. Where can they find you? Yeah, so my website is called happywithouthistamine.com and I have the free list. I sell some recipe books on there. I've actually got a group uh, program on the low histamine diet that's coming out soon um, in about a week. Oh, exciting. <laughs> and um, so I and then I have a higher uh, program, which is big one on ones with me work with a group, work on all of those different things that are that I've talked about um, and that's the, the way that I work one-on-one -on -one with my clients so um, there's a few different methods I'm also on Instagram and Facebook and I've also got a, a free Facebook group that people can join um, called happy without histamine yep uh, and there's YouTube as well but that's under my name Luann Hopkinson uh, and I have a second website that's luannhopkinson.com as well. Uh, but primarily the Happy Without Histamine site is where you want to go. So they can come and work with you in a more lengthy program. Will you, by the sound of it, have this exciting new program where you can come and work with you through eating a low histamine diet to help with their symptoms? Yeah, so it's called the Happy Without Histamine Kickstart. Fantastic. And it's going to be a live uh, group program and there are video modules. There's the four-week meal plan, which actually helps you start your low histamine diet and turn your brain off, follow the prep guidelines, follow the shopping list, cook the meals, eat the meals for four weeks. And so with the assistance of these, these recipes and things, it helps make it easier to transition so much easier yeah because <laughs> as we were saying you know it's so overwhelming and it can become frustrating and create more of that fear when they're told they're not allowed to eat things you've made a beautiful cookbook and now this course which can show people how to actually eat in a really healthy way with foods that are going to support um, balancing their histamines I love it yeah so you know video modules and then group Q&A sessions because usually you watch the videos, you use the recipes, but you've got questions, you want to know more, you want to understand more about what's going on. And so I'm including those as well. Oh, and there's a little pop-up Facebook group for that as well. <laughs> so people so can support. ask questions and things. So lots of support and just, yeah, giving people the opportunity to resolve um, some of the miscommunication that is out there about the low histamine diet. You know, if people have tried it before and it, it hasn't quite worked um, or partially worked, or if they're new to it, uh, this will help all of those. All Brilliant. Of those situations. Brilliant. I'll put in the show notes, obviously, um, link to Happy Without Histamines um, and your website so that people can find that. 
Thank you, Luann, for coming on and sharing all of your knowledge with myself and my audience. I really appreciate it. And I've actually loved chatting with you today and catching up. And, you know, I'm excited to see uh, what wealth you can actually impart on your audience and educating them and helping so many people with this area because it is a growing area of people that are finding it's histamines that are causing a lot of their symptoms and their issues. So yeah, we're lucky to have you. <laughs> unfortunately, there are more people every day finding that they've got these issues. But yeah, I think um, the more we can help uh, provide information and you know the understanding that um, it is something that can be improved. Uh, mm -hmm. Nothing is forever. Yeah. And uh, yeah, just being able to help as many people as we can. Yeah, and having lived through that and have that experience too, I think is essential um, and makes you so much a better practitioner for it. So thank you for coming along today and um, we really appreciate it. Thanks very much, Brooke. I, I could talk about this stuff forever because I just, <laughs> I just love it. And, um, yeah, I've really enjoyed talking with you today. It's been great. Thanks, Liam. We'll talk soon. You have been listening to the Evolved Health Podcast with your host, Brooke Archer. You can find me on your socials at Evolved Nutrition or go to my website, evolvenutrition.com.au to work with me, check out my programs, delicious recipes and so much more. Thanks for listening.